Hello and welcome to Back to Work Connect, the podcast. I'm Jean Oglesby, CEO of Back to Work Connect, the education and employment career hub designed to get returners and career changers back to work. In each episode, we will discuss the topics that are important to you, including financial well-being, mental health, and the supports available to help you get back to work. In this episode, we are joined by Neve DeBurka, founder and CEO of Sprout Plans, to discuss the salary package, holidays, benefits, hours worked, and pension contributions. So you're very welcome, Neve. Thank you, Gina. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about packages. Surely it's just a salary, and we gauge most of the roles on how much they're going to pay us. I suppose that's what we think about when, when we're returning to the workforce, we look at the salary, you know, what are they going to pay me? Because at the end of the day, you know, we return to the work both for our own well-being and our own sense of self um, and career progression, but also for the money. You know, that's that, that's what we work for. But the thing about a package is it's a lot more than just the salary, Gina. We need to see, have a look and see, you know, what pension benefits we're entitled to, what way the hours are structured. What sort of holiday days? That's a big trick, one that trips people up because you say, oh, it's given me 20 days holidays. But then an employer might say, but you have to take five of them in this space. So really, there's less flexibility with that. There's company days, there's sick days. There's there's a huge amount of additional benefits that we also need to be cognizant of when we're making a decision about what role we're going to take on. So... What you're saying is that it's not just about the salary, that there are many other things to to consider. Uh, one of the big ones I would assume is whether the company has a pension or not. Absolutely, Gina. And very interestingly, all companies will be forced to contribute to a pension next year from 2023 with auto enrollment based on what the employee contributes, which is great because we all do focus on present day rather than think about what's going to support my lifestyle when I retire. But a company pension plan is just, it's a wonderful benefit. If a company has a pension, they are essentially contributing a percentage of your salary to your long-term lifestyle. We would tend to see company pension plans in bigger companies, but I think it's also representative of the value that they place in their employees, that they want their employees to stay. So, you know, it's a good, it's a good indicator for me as to the work environment that you might be joining. So if you think about, say, an employer contributing 5% of your salary into a pension scheme for you, if you're on a 40% tax plan, that's essentially like another 10% on your package. So you might be looking at two different packages, one, say, paying 52,000 euros, one paying 50,000 euros and, say, a 10% pension contribution. The package, although it may pay you less on a day-to-day basis, is actually worth more when you factor in the pension contribution. We often hear about, you know, the gender pay gap um, and a big one that's been in the news recently is the pension gap, gender gap, that women are less likely to have um, a private pension. How important is it for women to have their own pension scheme? Uh, It's hugely important, but absolutely. And I think, unfortunately, there's a gender gap. Yes, there's the salary gender gap, but there's also a gender gap with regards to seeking financial advice and getting financial advice. Although we do see more females taking on professional financial advice rather than feeling that they're going to take control of it themselves. But I don't want to put people into boxes in any way. And so we, you know, help a lot of people who are sort of midlife workers. So people who are not uh, in their 20s, um, sort of 40s and 50s. When is it too late to start a pension? It's never too late to start a pension, ever. A pension, even if you're two years to retirement, 
by making pension contributions, you're getting tax relief, even in cash, right? Cash is a non-volatile asset. So it's not going to go up and down in markets. You're still making that 20% or 40% that you would make if, if you're paying higher rate tax. So it's never too late. And then when you reach retirement age, you can take a lump sum tax-free out of that pension pot and then use the rest to provide for you in retirement. That um, makes perfect sense. So the retirement age currently 67, would that be right? 66. 66, even better. They're, um, they're trying to push it up. Each election, it seems to be sticking at 66. But, you know, if if you're a young person in your 40s returning to the workforce, I doubt it'll be 66. So one of the other things we discussed, Neve, was holiday benefits. Um, tell me a little bit more about that and how if you job share or if you work part time, what are you entitled to? Yeah, so there are minimum holiday entitlements. At a high level, your holiday entitlements, whether you work part time, full time, are 8% of your working hours, subject to a maximum stroke minimum of, of 20, 20 days a year. Now, let me explain that. So if you're a full time worker, you have to be allocated 20 days of annual leave a year, right? Now, an employer could choose to give you more and they might choose to give you company days. So a company day is where you're forced to take a day at a particular point in time, like Good Friday. You're forced to take that day, but it's not necessarily a bank holiday. So guys, to full-time workers, that's what you should be thinking about. What are company days? What's the minimum entitlement? I know I'm a full-time worker. I should be getting at least 20 days annual leave a year. And then anything over and above that is at the employer's discretion or how they put their packages together. With regards to part-time workers, so they're entitled to 8% of their hours worked. So if you think of somebody, say, working a 20-hour week, say, five days of four hours a day, when you work out their 8% entitlement, that works out as 83.2 hours. I've worked it out because I'm a nerd. 83.2 hours a year. And if you consider their working day is a four hour day, that equates to 20.8 days a year. Now, the really interesting thing is more around bank holidays. So there's now 10 bank holidays a year. So if you're a full time employee, the employer must either pay you if you work that day or give you an extra day's pay if you work that day or pay you if you don't work that day. So it's a full day's wage. Most bank holidays are on a Monday. And for a part-time worker who might, say, work over four days, say they work Tuesday to Friday, your employer is obliged to pay you one-fifth of your weekly wage. So it's essentially another day. If you're working a four-day week, they need to pay you that fifth day. So for part-time workers on on weeks or fortnights or months that that there's a bank holiday, they'll actually see that increase in their income, which is nice to know. So if you work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, your wages would still be the same. You just don't, you wouldn't be in on the bank holiday Monday. Exactly. Oh, or okay. if you were in on the bank holiday Monday, then they have to pay you an extra an extra yeah. day's wage or give you a day off in lieu is also another one. So they might say, well, you work the bank holiday Monday and you can have the Friday off. Because a lot so, of people in retail and tourism would work bank holidays and and are, are bank holidays uh, scaled? Like is Christmas more valuable than we'll say St. Patrick's Day or are they all a level playing? But unfortunately not. No, there's no weighted, no weighted bank holidays. Well, that's a shame. <laughs> 
So tell me about social welfare benefits. If you're working part time, um, are you able to claim any other social welfare benefits to top up your salary? Now, this is really interesting, Gina. So, um, you know, and, and I think very interesting if you're in a job share type arrangement or if you're in a zero hour contract uh, arrangement, the days that you work during the week give you a PRSI credit. So in 2023, the PRSI week will start on a Sunday and it started on a Saturday in 2022. So if you work one day and earn over 38 euros in that week, you are getting a PRSI credit for that week. So if you say you worked one week and you worked um, from a Tuesday to a Saturday and then you took a week off, you didn't work the following week, you get zero PRSI credits for the following week. Now, we don't really think about this. We think, oh, I'm working one week on, one week off. But when you go then to claim social welfare benefits, so social welfare comes in either an allowance, which is means tested, or a benefit, which is based on PRSI credits. So this might be job seekers benefit. It might be carers benefit. Your eligibility for benefits are based on your PRSI record, right? And the number of insurable weeks of PRSI credits that you paid in the preceding periods. So if you're working one week on and one week off, you might only get 26 PRSI credits in a year, if that makes sense. So when you're thinking about how you're structuring your hours, think about how your hours stagger a PRSI week. So if you were to work Thursday to Tuesday, if you did one week off and one week on, but you work Thursday to Tuesday, you're staggering two weeks based on 2022 and 2023. But if you worked Monday to Thursday, one week on, one week off, you're only going to get 26 PRSI credits for that year. That's really interesting, isn't it? And I wonder how many people who are looking for flexibility think that job sharing is the way to go, but you're actually doing yourself out of half your credits. Um, that's, a, that's a really interesting point, Neve. But it, it depends on how you structure it then. I mean, knowing that you might choose to structure, I'm going to work Thursday, Friday, every week, and every other Wednesday, you, you know, it's yeah, just, it's just about, be clever about it. Yeah, it's just about being clever. Absolutely. Excellent. So the next thing we're going to talk about is employee sick pay. Um, and is there any entitlements to get sick pay in Ireland? Well, the good news is, because previously there wasn't, there was no obligation on your employer to pay you sick day. But it was brought in in July, which is great because they've been talking about it for a while. So from the 1st of January this year, 2023, yes, your employer has to pay you up to three days of sick pay per year. Now, there's and that's actually going to increase to five days in 2024, seven days in 25, and 10 days in 26. Now, the minimum rate that they must pay you is 70% of your normal wages up to a maximum of 110 euros. So if you earned... 200 euros in a day 70 percent is 140 euros but they they only have to pay you 110 euros but if your wage is 100 euros a day they have to pay you 70 70 euros a day now you must you might also be entitled to disability benefit as well and how that's treated uh, needs to be discussed with your employer so say if you are off for a month for whatever reason you broke your leg um your employer only needs to pay you for three days sick leave and you're entitled to disability benefit as well. But if it overlaps with those three days, your employer might say, 
I want that disability benefit paid to me and I'm still going to pay you 110 euros a day. So there is a bit of a mix there. But the good news is, is that there is an obligation. If you are violently ill, you're not going to miss a day's pay because you need to take it off, provided you're within your limits. And then you also need a GP cert as well, just to confirm that you are sick. That's really interesting, Neve, um, that you say that you need a, a doctor's note. I mean, what are the chances that if you wake up on a Monday morning and you're not feeling well, that you're going to make it to the GP if you just don't feel well? So I suppose there's there has to be checks and balances from an employer's point of view and from the employee's point of view. Are the first three days, regardless of whether you have a GP's note or just you get sick pay um, for three days? No, I understand that under this scheme, now different employers will operate uh, different arrangements. Um, like some employers might say, you're off for one day, you're entitled to a maximum of three days because that's the minimum requirement. Um, but uh, you don't need it. I'm going to decide that you don't need a six cert unless you're off for three consecutive days. Um, but the, the piece really is from the employee's point of view and the employee's rights if they are off sick for three days and if they produce a GP cert, their employer cannot refuse to pay them sick pay. I, I think the worry maybe from an employer's point of view, Neve, might be that these would be seen as just extra holidays um, and that it, you know, these regulations are put in place to support employees that, you know, particularly when COVID happened and people were afraid to take the day off because they couldn't, uh, they would lose out their salary. So I absolutely see the benefit in it. It's interesting to see how it'll work on a practical stance. So we've spoken about pensions, holidays, part-time working, PRSI. So what other financial benefits might be attached to a salary package when you go for a new job? Well, one piece that is always overlooked, and you know, I see it when I sit down and do financial reviews with people, is many employers offer death and service benefit or income continuance. And this is invaluable. You know, as somebody who works as a financial advisor, I see time and time again that people are hesitant to get life cover and life insurance. You know, they take out the mortgage protection, but they don't think about what if I die? You know, heart, what if I get cancer? I'm not going to be able to work. What financial supports are there when everything is just going pear-shaped, either my life or my family's life because I'm no longer here? And there are many employers that, that do offer what they call death and service benefits. So if you were to die while you're working, your estate might be paid two times your gross salary or three times your gross salary or four times your gross salary. And this is invaluable. Like we just don't place enough weight on this lump sum that can be passed to us should we pass on from the world. And then and then if we are sick, what sort of income continuance arrangements are in place with their employers you might have a fabulous employer who says I'm going to pay you full-time salary for three months and then part-time salary for three months so these are really powerful benefits um, and especially I think as well as we get older so life cover and insurance becomes more expensive as we get older and if you're in your 50s returning to the workforce and you've got a young family you know you're not you might be financially struggling in the household, say, you're not saying, I'm going to go out and get myself income protection now. But to know that your employer provides that is just, it's just really powerful. 
And I wonder, you know, how many companies actually do provide? Is it just the big multinationals that provide income protection and death and service policies, or is it commonplace? I'm not going to lie, it would be more associated with the bigger companies and who have the big company pension packages and you would regularly see those death and service benefits. It would be unusual if you are going for a job with a larger firm. It would be very unusual if they don't have it and it would be something to push for and question. So if you're going for a job with any of the multinationals, you would be saying, and what are my, what are my insurance benefits as well? If you're with an a smaller company or an SME or a company with less than 100 employees, it might be less likely. And as you go down into a smaller company, um, you know, it would be less likely to see those benefits. But conversely, you know, going for a job with a smaller company, the rewards of, of the job might outweigh it. You just knowing, you know, what you're weighing up. You work for a big company, you're going to have a very small defined role you work for a small company it could be more rewarding there could be share options might be something with a small company and a startup you know there's all sorts of ways to to structure things and you know on that as well Gina you know there's other benefits such as um travel passes and bike to work schemes so if the employer opts into these they can facilitate tax-free travel for you coming to and from work then there's also another, and this was doubled recently in the last budget, an employer can give you a benefit of a voucher, a tax-free voucher. Now, this started off as 250 euros of a tax-free voucher that many employers and any employer can opt into this were giving their employees, say, at Christmas. And then it increased to 500 euros of tax-free. Now, I'd like a tax-free lump sum of, of 500 euros at Christmas time to, to spend on presents. But in the last budget, they actually doubled that again. So it's now a thousand euros that an employer can give uh, their employee employees. And for the employer, they don't have to pay PRSI on that. So it's more tax efficient and the employee doesn't have to pay USC, PRSI or income tax on it. So it's a great way to 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 reward your employees. I think we've covered a huge amount here at Neve um, between PRSI contributions, sick pay, holiday benefits, pensions, uh, you know, other uh, benefits that you might be offered. I think being aware of all these points is, you know, is the power that you have as a job seeker uh, when you're offered a role is to be able to weigh up what you're being offered and the, the true value of each of these items. It's a really interesting topic, Neve. and there's just, we could talk here forever. There's just so many different um, points to talk about. Well, we've covered um, holidays, benefits, hours, contribution, pension, pension contributions, a sick pay, holiday benefit. Um, and I think that, you know, for people who are coming back into the workforce, I think it's really important to understand what each benefit means and how much it's worth to you in you know in the overall bigger picture so do you have any last pieces of advice for people who are looking at their offer um and what they should focus on yeah i mean you know i think returning to the workforce you know can be daunting especially if you've been out for a while and 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 you know i, I started this by saying we kind of look at our salary and um, many employers nowadays might only offer a salary so we think but look at the structure of the package, look at your hours worked, look at the holidays when you have to take them. You know, that at a minimum, an employer will offer you salary and holidays. You know, that's that's a bare minimum. And then really value 
any additional benefits that they give you on top of that. Brilliant. That was fantastic, Neve. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you like the Back to Work Connect podcast, you can find us at backtoworkconnect.ie or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for listening to the Back to Work Connect podcast. I'm Gina Oglesby, and today we were joined by Neve DeBurka, founder and CEO of Sproutlands. We would like to thank our sponsors, Bank of Ireland, the Begin Together Fund, and the Community Foundation of Ireland for sponsoring this podcast series.